Hello, everybody. Thanks for listening to Shop Talk Show. We have two lovely sponsors to talk to you about at the top of this show. One of them is Environments for Humans promoting their Front End Summit. This is hardcore front end ops stuff. It's the second year they're doing it. Stuff like grunt and SAS and CSS testing, implementing design patterns, all kinds of hardcore stuff. It's a one-day online conference. And this is new. You're going to like this. Uh, the online summit, 50% off a ticket for Shop Talk Show listeners. That's Shop Talk 50. Use that code. It's also sponsored by lynda.com. That's L-Y-N-D-A.com slash Shop Talk. Uh, if you're not a member yet, make sure you go to that URL to get uh, uh, your 10-day free trial. If you're already a member, well, that's fantastic. Just a reminder to uh, to keep being a member and go <laughs> check out all their awesome stuff. It's the world's largest kind of learn-at-your-own-paced, video-based learning site. It's awesome, but for now, let's kick things off. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show podcast, all about the intrinsic beauty in CSS properties. <laughs> I'm right. Dave Rupert, and with me is Chris Coyer, mm-hmm. small batch website lover. Chris Coyer, that's me. <laughs> Chris Coyer, yes, handcrafted earth mm-hmm. beauty. Mm-hmm. These people are going to shoot a video of me. Uh, you know, I'm not being. I'll share it with you when it's done. But I'm very, I'm very nervous about it because I don't know. I don't know how to approach it. I'm not very fancy, you know. And the people, I feel like the videos that are like showcasing people tend to, you know, have big thinking and like they don't have mustard on their shirts and stuff. Mm. So mm. I don't know how to approach I, it. I had a conference uh, that I was speaking at. Asked me for like a large photo, you know, like. Like they wanted a thirteen hundred pixel wide photo, and and it was that's like a wallpaper desktop wallpaper size photo, and I was just like, I don't have that, and I don't have one where I like look cool. I have one where I'm like, I don't know, trying to jump something and eating it, but I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't really have like a me looking cool in front of a slide. No, deck it's tough. Photo, Maybe you know? next time we get together, we'll have to, we'll have to just. Do it because what you need is a friend with a camera. Is the is the you thing? You need a, and somebody who makes you feel comfortable, and you can't like eat a pizza for every day for a week before you take no, a no. bunch of photos. Yeah, you got to go for I a learned. jog right before, and you know, mm-hmm. get, tone it. Maybe down. take a shower, do a little some wet hair do shots, some, do some crunches, crunch, crunch. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Oh, but we'll we'll get, we'll get some. I don't have that either. I have like a one with me with this this very microphone I'm speaking into, looking at it, being like Chris the podcaster. But I have oh, a good nice. smile on my face, nice. so I use that. I use that one. Oh, well, all right. Such the trials and tribulations of web development. Yes. <laughs> hey, Chris, who's in the studio zero, today? Zero with, with world problems. Nobody is in the studio with us, hence the hence the me and Dave banter. Uh, we are going to do a bloop, bloop, bloop rapid fire episode. No guests, no drama. We just get right to it, try to do a few more questions than we're able to when we have a guest. That's kind of fun to just whittle down the question queue a little bit and, you know, it's sometimes it's just fun to have a more focused show. Our statistics tell us that these shows are are equally as enjoyed as as the mm. guest ones. Maybe slightly less, but uh, that's only because they don't you know they don't get shared through our guest social networks as well. You know. Ah, so we re- we we count on you, dear listener, to share. Yeah, ha! double up your. See what show. I did there? Boom! Uh-huh. It's your job. Uh-huh. It's y'all's job. You are All our right. guest. Hey, yeah. Uh, hey. Here we go. Steve Kirby writes in. Kirkby. Sorry, Steve. Uh, 
Is it my lack of experience or do dependencies on Node and Ruby projects regularly break your projects as the gems packages are updated? Example, Node SAS. Mm, now that's a, a weird good question. one. It is a good question. Isn't that, is, it's, I don't know how it works in Ruby land, but, but a, a, a gem is just a dependency, like any other dependency. Bower could be a dependency. You know, certainly your node, your little, you know, what do they call them in node? You have the, your little dependency you know, JSON file that that pulls them all in. They're not gems, but they're just something else, right? I don't know. Ugh. Um, yeah, like so. Ruby gems are it's basically like a script that somebody else, you know, like wrote, like whoever, like modules. It, it, yeah, or or an abstraction. Like let's say um, I, I'm using one like right now for friendly IDs, so slugs, right? But I want it. I want my slugs across, you know, multiple whatever like uh, models. So I'm using this thing called friendly ID that somebody mm. wrote, and it's abstraction for slugging. Um, that's good. You know, pretty well tested. It may be slower than like me hard coding it all by myself, but like the chances of me messing up is pretty high. Um, they're always up to date. I'm trying to think like of that. the other one for that. Not to derail this, but there's there's another one that's really good that like filters out you know potentially like swear words and stuff and like oh neat uh, i'll send it to you okay i'm just like you know i could code it over like a hundred iterations but this guy hash ids oh hash yeah i've heard of that one anyway Hmm, maybe I'll I'm sure it's a gem. I'm sure it's a gem, in. you know. But yeah, so yeah. Th- these are little dependencies that your projects do. They do little useful things, uh, you know, and they can be anything. They can be lots of different stuff. SAS is one of them. Like, I want to use SAS on this project, so I'm going to use the gem for SAS, which pulls down all of this code that runs in the background that compiles my SAS. Or it could be this hash IDs thing that pulls down some code that executes that you can call. It has a little API of its own that you can call to get a new hash ID uh, that's like a unique slug. Pretty cool. But, you know, let's say you type gem update or whatever. What is it? Like bundle exec yep. update? Bundle install or yeah, yeah. bundle exec update. Up, gem update. <laughs> I don't You know, the, ugh, this shows my, that show, no that's embarrassing. We'll I'm to, sorry. The we'll internet. have to get Yehuda Cats on the show to explain. Well, I should know what you type in to update a gem at this point in my <laughs> life, but okay. Uh, but but uh, let's say that you do that. It updates from version 2 to version 3, and the, the, uh, the API to get a new hash ID has changed, and yes, your code will break. I think, th- I don't know if there's rules that say never do that. There's certainly like etiquette that says never do that or be super duper duper clear before you push it out or maybe push a beta for it. I mean, there's probably like ways that like it's bad news if you're the developer of a popular gem and you push an API breaking thing to your gem. It's probably not even that common because it's so bad form. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And, and Yeah, and, and that's like why SEMVAR is really popular. So... It, Semvar is like three numbers, the dot, you know, one dot o dot nine thousand or whatever, and the going from the far side, the the like third number is just a minor patch update. The second number is usually some kind of feature, feature yeah. new feature or something, and then the the first number is breaking change. So. One and two are going to break. So Angular is a popular one. Angular one and Angular two are breaking changes. Like your Angular one code and your Angular two code aren't going to really work mm-hmm. together. So, so if you're talking about, um, I think in in the, both the case of Ruby and Node, in your in the file that describes which which thing, yeah, you know, I guess it's a gem file in Ruby, right? And it's your little mm-hmm. dependencies JSON file thing in node package.json you can lock what version of the thing that you want is right i mean, you mean t- yep and then it's frozen in carbonite yeah. like han solo unless you specifically type in a command that says you know g- pull me down the latest version of this thing it's probably good to do that once in a while but then don't you know then test your code heavily before pushing up any changes but yeah it shouldn't do that so much so your example steve was node sass so uh i wonder what it is that broke for you because sass is generally pretty good about not pushing breaking changes not that there's never been any in the history of sass because there has but 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 
it's probably, it, sh- it shouldn't be a regular thing. It shouldn't be this thing in the back of your mind be like, oh, I better lock SAS forever because, you know, I think you get more by mm-hmm. updating SAS than you lose generally. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I mean, I don't think it's like being a noob or anything. I, th- I think dependency management is hard and that's why things like Bundler and NPM and stuff like exist and why they're, why NPM is like a full company just to manage like all this stuff. I mean, it's hard to get these dependencies all set up and, um, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you're probably, if you're working on a team, somebody probably just updated one or, or has a dependency that's at a higher dependency than what you had or something. And, but, uh, or maybe you switch computers and you have a different version of NPM that happened to me recently. I, I like installed NPM from the node website and it like installed NPM one, four, three or something. And like it's on two, one, 12 or something like that. So, I was, I, I, nothing was working and I was very confused. I was like, what's, why is it not working? It's like, oh, cause like your version of NPM is totally wrong. So, um, so I, it's, it's tough. So you get start, I, I think every developer ends up having to like kind of trace down version numbers at some point, but, um, for the most part, it should be pretty stable. But I guess if you have a high volume, kind of site or project you where multiple developers are making multiple commits and and updating everything, changing things kind of willy nilly, um, then you'll probably Mm -hmm. have problems. I I think you mentioned, but I think if somebody accidentally downgraded what version you were using, I could see that causing problems more, more readily than upgrading. or, Or like, like feet developer one wants feature X from, Node SAS three two or whatever it is um, that you know they so they're just like okay I'm updating and then you pull down that code and nothing works and you're like what happened and you have to do like npm install again to update all your gems or even RMF RF node cache and all that stuff that's that's kind of heavy heavy doings but. Sometimes you have to just mow down your whole NPM module <laughs> structure just to just to like get it all working. So um, it's tough. All the sympathy in the world for you there, Steve. Especially if that's not your if you use it, but it's not your ball of wax, you know, which is often the position that I'm in as well. As I can usually get it going, and I feel pretty happy with myself when things are going well. And then if something breaks, I feel rather powerless. So perhaps that's what you're feeling too. Much sympathy to you, Benjamin. Allison writes in on show 155. You talked about inline CSS. Uh, oh wait, flashback. There we go. Yeah. And then inline CSS, maybe that's like a, but (laughs) uh, where in cases where it might be useful or okay to use. um, So inline CSS being like, you know, div style equals quote, and then, you know, you're putting styles right into the HTML, which we've kind of, Mm -hmm. I don't know, widely regarded as frowny face. Um, mm-hmm. One case where it's useful might be when uh, an image is being dynamically served to fill its containing element while being centered within it. Case in point, like a WordPress featured image. Maybe you have a uh, a large hero kind of image in in WordPress, and you kind of set it on the back end, you know, with the WordPress featured image kind of feature there, which is just a nice kind of UI for doing that. Um, then how do you get it onto that page? You know, like how do you, uh, well, and you, uh, what the, your goal is then is to use like, you know, to, to select that header and use background size cover and background position center and stuff in, in CSS so that that is, it takes up the whole area up there and is centered nicely in there and, and does stuff. But, but, but the point is you might have to use, because you're setting a background image there, you might have to like in your template output the URL for that image in in inline CSS, right? I mean, that'd be kind of mm-hmm. like the only way to get it there, really, because it's not like you're going to put a class on it and then for every single blog post on your entire site, add a class in your style sheet that links to that 
URL, and then and then how do you keep that CSS up to date and stuff? You know, for a hero image that you need to use background image for, inline CSS is is can be part of the theme, right? Mm-hmm. Mm. That's it. I mean, I guess this isn't really a question. It was just kind of like if you have dynamic content that you want to insert in that way, you kind of got to use inline CSS sometimes. Yeah, I think this one kind of just saying you could use background cover or something background size equals cover um which is works but then you get some auto cropping kind of stuff you know you're, you're you're which good or bad some people hate that it doesn't work in IEA blah 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 um so hopefully i say like blah 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 a lot <laughs> like like oh therefore blah anyway, sorry blah 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 we woke up in the same blah bed. blah blah <laughs> I'm I'm gonna quit doing that. Okay, quit doing that, Dave. Quit. Um, uh, content fit or what? Fit content cover isn't that going to be a thing? Oh yeah, that's like the you know. I mean, if you guys don't know what background size cover is, it's a CSS property that takes the background image that you're using and cover. For example, make sure that it covers the entire edge with one copy of that image. So, let's say it's got to zoom in on it a whole bunch in order for it to do that to fill all the edges of it. Well, then there might be some cropping. Well, there's the um, there's contain as well as a keyword, and contain says, well, make sure that this entire image is viewable in this element no matter what. So if it ends up repeating or leaving some white space in there or something, fine, but I want to make sure that I can see the whole thing. You know, those are pretty different concepts. That um, that could be the case with the image tag too, but those CSS properties don't work there. So what Dave is talking about is you can take an image tag in the image it puts out and use those same kind of concepts there. Like, let's say I resized the, uh, the width and height of an image. Well, if you use these CSS properties, instead of it squishing or doing anything gross, you could say, well, I want you to maintain that aspect ratio and that size, but squish the image inside to do the cover behavior or do the contain behavior or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I think just what Benjamin so, was saying here is to get that image into the div at all, you got to use inline CSS because it's just that's the only way you could do it. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> um, so, yep. I mean, I think there are uses. Um, I mean, I think. Try not to. I think is the, the yeah. It almost term. always bites you if you if you're like oh, this is just going to be a little one off, Chris. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about going to the CSS and making a whole new class structure for it. Just throw it in the style attribute. Every time I do that and convince myself and start drafting my Medium article on on why it's okay to use inline CSS, then mm-hmm. the same day it bites me for some other reason. You know, it's one of those like just draw the line in the sand. Just don't do it. It'll it will your life will be better for it. Well, and it, you can also kind of think of inline styles as like another style sheet, you know, basically because you're asking the browser like, hey, take care of my style sheet, apply all those styles. Oh, also do this element here. So like every time you're doing that, you're you're kind of you're asking the browser to stop what it did, rethink itself and repaint itself. So there there might be like huge whatever Adiasmani level performance issues. Uh, can we use that as a term? Adiasmani level performance issues um, in your <laughs> website. So uh, careful with that. So um, that's all. That's all. All right. Indeed. Um, let's do a sponsor quick. Uh, are you ready to sing this, Dave? Uh-huh. Pretty good. Slash shop talk is the URL. <laughs> and uh, lynda.com is a huge learning resource on the web. It's for problem solvers, the curious, the people who want to make things happen. Uh, maybe you want to master Excel, learn negotiation tactics, build a website, boost your Photoshop skills. Go to lynda.com to feed your curious minds. They recommend their uh, illustrator, creative, or uh, uh, what does CC stand for? Oh my God, my brain. Creative is, Cloud. Creative Cloud. I have it. I have CC. 2014 the, for my stuff. Yeah, <laughs> Creative Cloud for uh, using Illustrator for wireframing, uh, up and running with Java, localization for developers, up and running with Android Wear. They have stuff on Swift and other iOS stuff. I have a course on there on WordPress. I was personally on there just the other day watching the uh, um, a course on Angular, just because I feel like I really need to. Uh, it's been a lot of years now where I 
I feel my like front end MVC stuff is all like I get it, I like it. I I just I don't actually work in any projects on it at the moment, but I still you know because we do this show and I want to <laughs> maintain relevant. You know, I, I don't have any gray hairs yet. I want to. I like I like watching stuff like that. I get a kick out of it. So I was um, doing the Angular course. Oh, nice. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, lynda.com that's where you can go if you go to slash shop talk and you sign up through there you get the 10 free days so you got a summer vacation coming up here good you should sign up first so you can watch some Linda stuff on your iPad on the plane or your Android thing or your Microsoft Surface or whatever uh, let's see. Let, uh, Chris House writes in, I have only uh, briefly experimented with CSS frameworks like Bootstrap and 960 Grid and stuff, but my cursory evaluations have led to mainly frustration. I like uh, being in complete control of my code. I like knowing that there aren't a myriad of classes unknown to me that are affecting the behavior of elements I'm trying to work with. It feels like I'm constantly fighting against the framework to make things behave exactly how I want. It just seems like these frameworks are adding a layer of complexity rather than making things simply. So my question is, am I viewing CSS frameworks incorrectly? Uh, or, or perhaps uh, through more exposure to a framework, I'll it will open my eyes to its 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 usefulness or whatever. A uh, fairly common uh, mm-hmm. question and feeling, I think, Chris. I think I put this in here because I wanted to uh, first of all, like, put our finger on what is that? What is that? Do you ever get that feeling, Dave, where it's like there's code in this project that I didn't write and I feel weird about it and I don't like it. That's actually my new definition for a framework is <laughs> is a framework is code I didn't write, therefore it's not good enough, and therefore I'm going to burn it all down and write my own. So that's that's what the definition of a framework. Um, so I, I like frameworks. I'm personally in the uh, convention over configuration camp, um, mm-hmm. which is Ruby on Rails uses that kind of slogan. Um, and it may create inferior products, snort, chortle, push glasses up. So, but, you know, it, but like in theory, you spent less time. It, the only problem is you, you had to agree kind of to the contract, to the, to the syntax uh, of the framework. And you say, hey, okay, I can use this. I, I feel similar to this framework. I'm going to use it. And boom. I made uh, a a website. I mean, the example, like I'll use, I I can use Bootstrap. It's just fine. It, it suits my sensibilities, but it, it's not, it's not super super great. But I, like, I guess whatever. It's 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 good enough. I think is what I I feel like about mm. Bootstrap. One one framework I don't use Genesis framework for for WordPress. I I know tons. Every WordPress developer I know is like, oh my god, Genesis is the best. I'm using it so much ever. And for me, I'm just like, yeah, I don't think I need it. I'll just code by hand. So that's how I feel about frameworks, Chris. Yeah, there's a lot to digest there. We went all over. The, I, we went all over the map. No, that's good. But sorry. No, okay. it's no, it's good. There's just there's just a lot to say about frameworks, you know. I, and it's and it's it's such it's a it's a word that means a lot of different things. I mean, we just compared you know the nine sixty grid to Ruby on Rails to Rails. You yeah. Know? So I mean, that's a that's yeah. it was kind of a you know not a stretch, but it's like that. That's where your mind. That's what's easy for our minds to go there. But the, what the feeling I was kind of trying to put my finger on was that, like, okay, 960 Grid has this concept that it can break uh, something that is 960 pixels, or it uses that as a as a number that it bases its math on into a lot of different convenient uh, chunks. You know, like it it splits in half easily, it splits in fourths easily, it splits in eighths easily, it splits in thirds easily. It, it's just as a convenient number in that way. So it's like, okay, here's a whole bunch of class names and they have this width and they're all floated left. And Or if you, if you, you know, on this parent element, you want some gutters, well, then there's another class name that you can use for that and the math kind of changes. Uh, and, and that's kind of interesting. It's just a grid from, but, uh, but I can see that you're like, ah, like that's a there's a whole bunch of CSS. Maybe it's you know I don't I haven't looked at this one in a while, but we're just using this as a as a theory. Let's say it's twenty k of C, or I don't know, it's probably not that big because that's kind of a lot of CSS. But it's like this whole chunk of code you didn't write it, you don't a hundred percent grok it. 
it's just a bunch of code and you're just throwing it in there as a dependency. That even feels weirder to me than server-side dependencies because we were just talking about hash IDs. You throw that in as a gem in your project, it doesn't, it's no big deal. It's not really affecting the end performance of this website, really. But 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 something like a CSS dependency is, you know, you're shipping down every request for your page, a bunch of code that you don't really know, and it feels really weird. And if you use Bootstrap, you know, again, I agree with it. I, I like liked a ton of what Bootstrap is doing too. But if you just used it wholesale, like the whole, like you know, I'm just going to use the entire version of Bootstrap unminified, you know. That'd be like, oh my god, there's a ton of CSS going on there that I, I just don't. It's just there, and that's weird to me. I know that unused code is bad for performance and stuff like that. Uh, but but then there's the idea of a framework that's the kind of the other way around. Like you said, you've used Neat before. I was just looking at Neat, which is kind of um, depends on Bourbon, which depends on SAS. It's kind of a little nested dependency tree there. But it's also like mm-hmm. Suzy for SAS. It's kind of on-demand grids. Like this is a selector. That that I'm writing, and any divs inside of that selector should have, uh, you know, a, I'm going to call this mixin called span and say three of eight or something, and it's going to do the math to output how wide it needs to be. That's kind of neat because it's a little bit more like a gem in that regard, and that it's not giving me a bunch of code that comes down with every request from my website. It's not it's not part of the CSS that ships. It's just like a set of APIs essentially that you you, you kind of build your own grids with. And that feels a lot better to me personally. And I think that's kind of the way grid frameworks are starting to go. You'll see less of 960 stuff these days and more of like APIs for building your own grids. Like hidden basically. They never they never output code. You output code, and yeah. I although I mean, I having just dug a project out of a Bourbon neat dependency, it it's that's tough too, you know, because mm. you're just like at in or at extend or whatever at include uh, box shadow, and you're just like, yeah, cool, that worked, you know. But when you want to get rid of it because it's taking like a minute to compile all your SAS or whatever, it's like. Ah, uh, I should have. Uh, so now you have to comb through things, and and same with the grid. If you like want to change up how, like, break away from this dependency, now you're like, now you have to dig out, write your own code, figure out how you do grids all by yourself, sort of thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's a, another downside to frameworks is is you kind of build the dependency. Like if you use Bootstrap or whatever, like because bootstrap kind of requires certain html and classes like all of your html now needs to get updated so you know depending on how many templates you have that could be a big deal so i don't know i'm pro framework generally but i they have downsides there's truth that people you know whether you're fit into this camp or not there's a lot of people that like just like to be told what to do because mm-hmm. you know, they just feel more productive that way, and if they feel like that they're following in the footsteps of people that have thought this through and stuff. A little yeah, bit it's also kind of like good, fast, cheap. Is, is that triangle, and you get to pick two oh, sides. Okay, go on. I want. Um, I want to hear this one. The framework so, would be cheap, probably fast and cheap. Like. <laughs> Because good, I'm using good in the sense like I coded it. It's perfect. It's good. You know, even though like a framework is going to be good, but like, you know, uh, let's use the Rails example. Like Rails, you can build a product for free really fast. Like you can get up and going pretty fast with Rails, like in a weekend, a startup weekend kind of thing. Uh, is it the best code ever? Is it going to scale to millions of users on day one? Yeah, probably not. You probably have more work to do. Um, so it's not good. It's not as good as JRuby or Go on the, you know, blah, 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 blah. I did it again. Um, it's not, it's not like neck beard level great, but it's, it's, it gets the job done, doesn't it? Are we, are we wrong? Am I wrong? <laughs> Fill out a comment. Let me know how I'm wrong. I don't know. We better leave this one alone because there's no end to the what you can say about this this uh, this general idea of frameworks. And, and Chris, you were just really asking about simple CSS ones, and uh, I, you know, I, I took it next level. I apologize. No, not at all. Uh, I just think for Chris, if 
you should just follow your heart, buddy. Well, and that's why are we adamantly, adamantly opposed to CSS frameworks? But we'll use Rails, no big deal. Well, it's the, the problem is we can't really say we're against CSS frameworks because there's so many different t- types and ones to use yeah. and stuff. So, yeah. All right, let's leave it at that. Uh, uh, Lucas Jukas, is that? Um, sorry if I laughed, That's but great. I didn't. I didn't realize that your That's name a- rhymed. That's pretty cool. Could you could you maybe post your thoughts on um, Adam Adam IO? Looks like a pretty good editor, better even than Sublime. I think I put this in there as I think you even maybe just use it straight up full time, don't you, Dave? Or I am a full time Adam user. Team Adam, sponsor me. <laughs> uh, I love Adam. Um, it is it's great. Um, it is built by GitHub and it it is almost exactly like sublime text, except it gives you that feeling that it's under active development. So does it, that's, that's where I'll leave it. Like when you, like when you open it, does it up a little pop up, come up there's updates restart. Yeah. There's uh, in the footer of it, you know, Mm -hmm. like the little footer thing, there's a, like it, it's. It says, you know, there's a little squirrel every time it's ready to update. And you just say, okay, cool, awesome, I'll update. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's a little box if you have plugins that need to update and stuff like that. Um, but it has it, all this it stuff. Is, it has things for, for SAS and whatever. It syntax highlights correctly. It has good find and project to the kind of stuff. Yep, yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, it has all of that. It's really good. Um, you can even make your key bindings exactly like... Um, Exactly like what you call um, sublime if you uh, want sublime if you want. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's because it's HTML, CSS, and JavaScript. Like that's what it's built on. It, it's built on. It's a Node app. It's like Node WebKit or Node Chromium or whatever in in like as an app. And even sometimes when errors happen, like the browser crashes, it doesn't. It, it's it's good. It's not like an app that just like crashes. But it's not sh- like a text like, area, is it? Or like, or is it? Is it divs and spans and stuff that make the actual code editor part? Yeah, I mean, yeah, mm. it's a it's a like a code mirror kind of thing, like right there in the browser. I just think but that's they, weird because it's not like you can't use it on the web web, right? You can't use it on the web. I'm sure. It I mean, must use some platform know. enough-ish features that it can't. Because that's what I was like always like wanting to watch really closely was that like, is this a replacement for Code Mirror and uh, whatever the other one is, the Ace Editor, or not really? And it turns out it's not really. It's like native only. And I don't know if, yeah. they, if they use well, platform-specific features or whatever. I, I don't think that... They built it all in React, and then they were like, actually, that's actually kind of slowing us down so they reverted all that but it um it, yeah it's it's like their own custom code mirror kind of thing um but i think you know the only thing they're using that's like server side is the file api like you're using files and stuff like that so yeah. which you could do you know in the cloud if you want my guess here's a little gossip <laughs> my guess is they're building this out in hopes of making an online code editor because yeah. that would tie in. Right. To- they use Ace on GitHub right now, but they probably are looking to replace that major dependency with, not that you do like that much coding right on GitHub, but they'd be stupid not to be pursuing being like the a- online cloud editing cloud environment. I mean, that's some, that's some next level stuff, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, even, yeah, because I mean, you're talking like, and that's the truth is, it's probably too hard to do with even a large company like GitHub. They're not that big, so how mm-hmm. do you do that? You open source it. <laughs> well, yeah, you start with doing a browser or like doing a code editor, right. and I think they probably were even in the like, we are uh, a little bit tired of Sublime Text not updating and stuff like that, so they're like, yeah, back, or what do they day, call it? We're gonna build a web browser, pulling a text mate. <laughs> Pulling a text mate. Oh, ouch. Geez. I, the Ow. only reason I wouldn't say that because I, I suspect that both of those people that worked on both of those projects are like like heroes to us. They should be, but oh, for some yeah. reason they're like, I've never like, I'm just not, I don't see them being part of the community very much. I'm sure that they are. Maybe they're just outside of my community because, you know, we just are front enders and they, they're building a code editor for 
a world of languages. But I just didn't, you know, it didn't seem like communication was particularly strong on either of their parts. You know, you'd hear nothing and then there'd be like one blog post that people would tweet the crap out of that was like, oh, look, development's not dead. And then, and then, and then it, but really it is. And, but this, yeah, this seems like it has a little bit yeah. more legs if it's, it has I mean, the backing of a big company and it's oh, open source. No, you go. Yeah. And it's, it used to have problems, right? Like it, it used to have like you couldn't, open large JSON files, it would crash, you know, at like a two megabyte limit or something like that. Um, that's gone. Occasionally you'll get the red box of death, which means that tab crashed. But it, it's it's because it's a web browser, basically, your one tab is like a web browser tab now, like a Chrome tab. So only that tab crashes. Your whole app doesn't just shut off all unsaved points are gone, you know, mm-hmm. like it, it's one tab crashes. So like the memory, I think that was a big deal of why, why Chrome split from WebKit is because of that architecturally that, that was a fundamentally different thing than what WebKit was doing or something. Yeah. I mean, that's, well, that's I like, I think it's why. still the case. Safari to this day, the whole, the whole, the whole bugger will crash. There's I, a, I, I crash my browser all the time. Cause, cause, <laughs> CodePen is a world of hurt. Um, I I recently read that Scott McCloud comic that he did for Google Chrome's launch. Do you remember that? Or I mean, I know who Scott McCloud is. I can't remember the exact exact. Google.com slash Google Books slash Chrome. And uh, Scott McCloud made a comic book for the launch of Chrome and kind of explains like what they feel uh, about the web and it even gets into like the web platform blah 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 um it kind of outlines the vision of chrome back in the day and Mm, i think it even kind of explains why they're doing things the way they're doing now um you know we had alex russell on the show it kind of like like explains some of maybe his thinking or their feeling just what we can do you know, it's maybe the first time I ever saw the words like, you know, runtime, you know, HTML runtime and blah, blah, blah. So, ah, ding, I did it again. David Rupert, stop it. So you, uh, I can start dinging you. When you say blah, 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 you don't like it? You're out? I, every time I say blah, 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 I need like a funny, I'm going to donate a whatever a dollar. It's just a filler. You're not actually, it's, it might, you might be annoyed by the words of it, but it's not like you're omitting. I'm not, I'm not, yeah, I'm not like saying yada, 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 dismissing people. I am just trying to wrap up a sentence inelegantly. (laughs) Okay. That's a little more forgivable. So, but I could see you'd want to work on it. I just Just like my vocal fry. Um, all right. (laughs) Did we finish this question? Hopefully, uh, uh, I, I guess we talked about Adam a whole bunch, which was I the goal like here. Adam. I like Adam. I might you switch. Should. I don't. I, you know, I don't really care that much, other than the fact that it doesn't seem to like have any killer features above and beyond Sublime Text. So yeah, um, I I think there are killer features. I just I can't really tell you what they are. So so I'm no help. Um, Vito. All right. Well, I think they're they're I. For me, it's all about dog fooding. Like I'm working in an environment where I like I can I see can that feeling good. It's built out of the stuff that you write. You yeah, know? and I could write a plugin. I have written a plugin, like, I, but I never launched it. But I, I just, you know, I I did like a little word count read time plugin for when I'm writing a blog post. You know, in Markdown, I could smash out the read count and word count and stuff like that. Um, so Thanks. I I did that. I added that in subline text. I'd have to wait six years for somebody to do that for me because I'm not going to go learn Java or whatever. Mm-hmm. So that's my thing. I thought you could. Can okay. you do? Maybe you can. I Maybe thought can. part of the magic of it was that you could write plugins in any language or something, or was that TextMate? There was some kind of cool thing like it, it, you can write them in any language and it will read it. Pearl. Let's. Yeah, maybe even. 
This show brought to you in part by Environments for Humans, who are doing, like I said at the top of the show, the Front End Summit this year. It's the second year they're doing it. It is a live conference, but it takes place online, so you can attend it from anywhere in the world. You can even buy a meeting ticket, you know, so your whole company can uh, attend it from from one place, which is pretty cool, you know, no flights, no restaurants, no hotel rooms, that kind of thing. Uh, so it's inexpensive that way, and it's kind of inexpensive anyway, especially when you factor in in the URL here again is frontendsummit.com. When you go there and click the buy tickets thing, uh, to buy like a single ticket is $179. For Shop Talk Show listeners, it is Shop Talk 50, 50% off ticket prices either way you go. That is the first time they've ever offered such a good discount, especially to Shop Talk Show listeners. How flattering is that? So yeah, it's the second year, the front end summit, pretty darn cool, I think. It's like front end, like like kind of ops, like anybody that does front end work could benefit from this, but it's like kind of hardcore front end stuff, which is, I'm sure, appealing to Shop Talk Show listeners. There's, you know, creating workflows with grunt, visual regression testing, implementing uh, uh, brand patterns, sketch for a large site, sketch, you know, like the software that's basically the best software ever, writing tests for SaaS, guerrilla design tactics. Uh, Sparkbox is doing a front-end roundtable Q&A with all the geniuses over there at, 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 at Sparkbox. It's going to be a big day, you know. I, I've said so many times how cool these online conferences are because there's just a lot of chatter. There's a lot of talking and learning that happens in the, in the kind of meeting room for the day. You get recordings of it all, so you just, like, even if you miss one or you step out or whatever, you'll have it forever. It's pretty darn sweet. So frontendsummit.com, check it out. Level up your front end abilities and save 50% with Shop Talk 50 when you check out. All right. Next question comes from Joe Asp. I'm taking a course on HTML5, CSS, and JavaScript at my university in Sweden. Well, welcome. Thanks for listening from Sweden. Uh, They have decided that frameworks like Bootstrap, etc. are not allowed as a risk to, uh, as to the risk of plagiarism, interesting, due to a previous incident, uh, incident where a student bought a complete website and submitted it as a final project. Uh, as a result, they have now banned any use of frameworks in front ends, including things like jQuery. What are your thoughts to this approach? I think using pure JS takes the joy out of <laughs> some. That's a nice final sentences. This is some wild stuff, man. That's a rough place to be. So student buys a theme or something, right? And passes it off as their work. Now that's clearly, that's plagiarism. That's bad news. They They went to Theme Forest or whatever, bought a website... Maybe they changed a little bit of something. They probably did because there's probably some requirements for this final project uh, and submitted it like it was their own uh, clearly plagiarism. That's that's the equivalent of buying a paper that you submit as your own paper, right? But the, uh, in, to in su- college. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's the great Gatsby. Turns out the, the light was a metaphor. It's, this was a love story gone wrong, whatever, you know, like yeah. you just, you bought it and, and turned it in. But is that, is that, it feels different to us easily to say that, well, Bootstrap's not like that. It doesn't really give you a laid out website. It just gives you tools to build the website. It's not really plagiarism. It's just a tool. It's just a tool like anything else is, you know, is that, uh, but I could see a professor saying, don't use that. The point of this is, I want to level you up so that someday you're writing your own bootstrap kind of thing. I could see disallowing bootstrap. I I wouldn't call it in the same realm as plagiarism, but I could still see something like bootstrap being disallowed at a at a university for a final project. That seems okay to me. But then there's this other level of disallowing even things like jQuery. Now that seems even further away than bootstrap. jQuery doesn't give you nothing but APIs. Mm-hmm. It's certainly an author of convenience. I could also see how you know a professor might have this opinion where it's like, no, you should go under the hood or whatever. It's like, well, at some point, going under the hood stops. So at what point should you stop it? You know, I would probably stop short of jQuery. It seems a little weird, and it, it seems like a too strong of a reaction to one student one time buying a website and turning it in. Uh, as plagiarism. It seems like way too strong of a response to say, okay, that happened, so no more jQuery. Mm -hmm. That seems wild. 
It seems like the appropriate response would be to fail that student. <laughs> like, <laughs> Maybe you know, scope scope the scope the, res, the 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 response to the problem. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, I would take issue with jQuery. I feel like jQuery is the best way to learn JavaScript. It's it's a gateway <laughs> to uh, raw JS, as we might call it. Um, you know, I that that I understand the bootstrap thing. I mean, the whole thing is you're supposed to know how to make a grid or something, know how to set type. You're supposed to know how to, I don't, uh, button, code a button. You know, that's, that should be your job learning. Um, you know, but it's weird that your, your teachers would be like, oh, you have to learn how to make a carousel all by yourself, you know, just code it by hand with no, no, whatever fancy new selectors or something like that. Like that's, that seems difficult to me that, that I don't think I was ready even, you know, even up to a couple of years ago. Could I also I've, don't have the highest regard for this professor probably because the, how do they not, I mean, maybe they did spot it right away, but it seems like they, they were overreacting to this problem because they didn't spot it right away. You know, they're like, they're like, Oh, it turns out somebody, somebody used a, 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 a theme for their for a project, and then later it got found out. So now we have to have these policies. It seems like if I was a professor, I'd be able to sniff out somebody turning in a theme for their project a hundred miles away. You know? Yeah, I mean, this would if this was an English course, it'd be like no typed papers. Every page has to be handwritten. <laughs> yeah, and and no quotes the re- from other books because uh-huh. this has to be original content. Uh, mm-hmm. that seems I don't know that seems difficult that's perfect um, good luck Joe I, I think I think you have a good head on your shoulders I think so you you'll be fine you know yeah, yeah I think you understand like in the real world we use things like jQuery or we use whatever if framework to kind of help us along um, should use I, Zepto see what they say yes use Zepto <laughs> no, they, no one will know what it is um and then you could uh and then like i the the kid who cheated you know and bought a theme he'll probably be really successful (laughs) in what design oh that would be Uh, funny to do a where are we now with your class yeah it's like (laughs) yeah i made billions of dollars selling theme force for like 800 percent markup so feeling good (laughs) oh Womp womp. All right. Next uh, question. Did Jan. We, I feel like we answered it. Yeah. This isn't really a question. It's just kind of an interesting uh, expose of a setup. And I think these are fun to read sometimes. Jan Druniak writes in. Um, hey guys, just after listening to the to the episode with, with Bastion um Allegier. Shoot, I'm sorry, Bastion, Bastion. Allegor. Yeah, yep. but I thought it had a little bit of a thing. Anyway, we okay. had him on a, a way back to uh, to talk about his CMS Kirby, which maybe you'll remember. It's kind of PHP based. Like, there's some flat files, there's some PHP. It's pretty interesting, really cool CMS. Uh, Jan really loves it and writes in. You guys were talking about workflows with Kirby. I use Kirby on my site, and I just wanted to show off how awesome my Kirby workflow is. Number one, I keep the code for my website uh, on GitHub in a repo. Two, I keep all the I keep the content folder in Dropbox. So apparently Kirby has this folder in it that that's pro- that's where you keep the flat files for you know your markdown files or whatever that you're gonna write your blog posts or write whatever kind of content you have for your site. That's in a folder called content. Jan keeps it in Dropbox. Three, I install Dropbox on my server. It's installable software. You can install. Uh, uh, not just on your local computer, but on the server as well. Four, I use Capistrano to deploy my code from the GitHub repo to my server, then have Capistrano create a sim link inside the Kirby S sim uh, folder pointing to the Dropbox content folder. So it's kind of like, well, this content folder, it needs to be within the Kirby structure, but you can have a sim link that points to another content folder that's also on your server, remember, because you installed mm-hmm. Dropbox on a server. So it's kind of like a way to cheat and keep this Dropbox folder outside, but it still have it work within the Kirby universe. And then Jen says, that, that way I can mess around with stuff while keeping my content out of harm's way. Also, for creating new content, I use NVAlt, using Markdown, of course, on my Mac. That's so just some Markdown authoring 
program, it sounds like, which has a sweet preview panel that you can customize with your own CSS and HTML. So you get a real live preview of your post with the exact same style sheets that are on your website. Pretty awesome, huh? Yes, that is awesome. I think that's really neat. So it's like a markdown editor that isn't just look nice, but you give it CSS that styles what it looks like. So when you're authoring, it looks like it looks on your own website. That's awesome. Nice. Uh, yeah, so pretty cool. I like that idea. So, the, you know, you're authoring blog posts locally. You hit save. It goes to your local Dropbox, syncs to the Dropbox on your on your server. And then just because that's how Kirby works, it's just a flat file in Kirby and it's just automatically live on your live website. You know, I think that's mm-hmm. like a pretty, pretty cool little workflow. Thanks for sharing that, Jan. I like it. I Yeah, that's cool. I I, I like that you're... Content like your database folder, your <laughs> your content folder in your Dropbox is totally separate from your your like server deployment thing. And then it it sounds like you have a pretty sweet flow, uh, and and you're able to preview your content. So that's that's really cool. Um, all right, if you got a cool in inventive setup like that, and it has to be truly inventive, like like Jan's. Uh, let us know. Sounds good. Next, Tony Gaskell, and this may be well. We maybe we can probably the last one. We'll All see. Right. Uh, Tony Gaskell writes in. I've been recently been trying to write more tests for my web app. This works well for functions since I can say with this input expect this output. Uh, but what about for user interfaces? What is your approach to making sure that your changes do not mess with the existing UI when working on a team? Any continuous integration tools? Mm. So, yeah, you're right in that those are just unit tests, right? Those are the ones where you're testing like kind of a server side function or even a JavaScript function, but you just pass it some value and you, you know, you, you kind of expect what the output is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's either true or false, you know. It either passes or it doesn't. Uh, Tony's asking about what about tests for user interfaces? That's usually called integration testing, right? Generally, mm, yes. It's kind of like uh, I, w- what happens if I click here? Is this thing visible and stuff? It has a little more DOM stuff going on. Certainly, there's t- tests like that. Isn't Selenium one of the things that does Selenium that? Selenium is a big one, but a, a lot of things are kind of moving over to the Phantom JS, Slimer JS. Right, which is those are headless Casper. browsers, which is like it's kind of like you're running Safari or something. You're running WebKit, but there's no user interface. It just it, it you can tell it to do stuff and it will do it, but you never see it. You know, there's no UI for it at all. And then you can, but you can still write tests that are like, if I click here, is this visible? And what color is this thing? And that type of stuff. And you can write tests that do it that way. And then Tony's asking about continuous integration. Um, yeah, remember the go back to the episode where we had the fellows on from. Code ship, Code which ship. we talked a lot about continuous integration with them. And it, what's neat about them is it's, it's deployment, right? But continuous integration is deployment that takes into account your tests. So it doesn't let you deploy unless uh, unless it does testing. And, and continuous integration even goes a step further sometimes. And it's like anytime code is pushed to the repository at all, it uh, it runs the tests on them automatically, and if it's good to go, it just pushes it live. You know, you don't even you don't even say, okay, I'm ready to to deploy to my website now. You don't mm-hmm. like make you don't make that that conscious choice. You just are pushing push you know push 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 push, and if there, it's passing tests, it's going live, which is kind of mm-hmm. neat. Yeah. Um, what I'm not there yet. I'm definitely at the point where I choose when I want my code to go live. You know. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I am not on this train, and I regret it. I wish I, I was in a situation where I did this more. I mean, there's uh, I've used been involved in workflows that, you know, it's it gets kind of grunted and linted before you pre-commit so that you're not, like, shipping bad-looking code. Um, I've, you know, Jasmine tests run or, or Mocha tests will run. Uh, but I don't write too many tests, and I feel bad about that. Um, I, I really should <laughs> write better tests, and that's something I'm kind of working on. But um, uh, yes, I, I do. You guys have a any kind of like go click through send a robot to click through your website on on? No, we pen? don't. No, but we do have. 
um, a, a, a quite good collection of both Ruby side unit tests and and uh, Jasmine side JavaScript tests. So mm-hmm. that run all through Guard. And it's, yeah. yeah, it's it's pretty solid testing. You know, so if it's running in Guard, it's kind of running continuously, right? Yeah, when you when you save files, I think we had it set up for that for a while, but for sure you type guard and it will run them. You know, okay. So you it's not as it's not. Yeah, you guard before you commit or whatever. And yeah. I run guard all the time because I also have it watching my CSS and doing little style injection stuff. I'd like to get on browser sync, but I haven't yet. Mm. Mm. Yeah, or Ghost um, Lab maybe Ghost Lab Two is out. Do you see that? Oh, I didn't see that. It's kind of ghost labby, but or it's kind of browser syncy, but it just is software, so it's kind of all set up for you, and it does some other cool stuff. The cool one, I have to, I have to, I have to dig into this. I think they're going to write a guest post for CSS tricks for it, but they might already be out actually by the time you listen to this because we're recording in advance, maybe. But the idea is mm-hmm. that you can use they build they open grab the Chrome open source dev tools and plugged it into it and then use their server so you can be debugging in like IE9 but using Chrome dev tools to be Ooh. changing CSS and doing JavaScript debugging and all that stuff which is pretty fir- that's the mm-hmm. first time I've ever seen that so that's cool yeah that's cool. I don't know how we got on that that's topic cool. but. um I you know I so I've started this thing this is related but not unrelated um, whenever I code out a feature, like a JavaScript feature, I, I, I've started writing like cucumber feature, like what are they? They're just called feature tests or whatever. The like feature, uh, user can use a carousel in order to make more money from ad placements <laughs> as a, uh, user. I want whatever, my carousel at the top of the page or some, you know, that syntax, I really like that syntax. Um, I feel like I, I'm in the place where I want as plain English as possible. Um, so I, I, I kind of, the my main issue, and in, in I need to just buck up. This has been on my list of shame for, gosh, since we've like started the podcast. Um, my main issue with like, unit or JavaScript testing is, is I just, I have trouble seeing the value. Sometimes it's like assert or var banana equals foo and assert banana equals foo. I'm like, what? Like, okay. Why would that never work? That's like always the example, you know? (laughs) And so it's too simple or whatever. Yeah. I need somebody to like explain what, what it would be where it would be super useful, like, I don't know, I guess. I don't know, I think you just, you get surprised. Like, if you have a huge suite of tests, you just kind of learn, I think, that it's like, oh, I thought that was going to be a no-brainer, and guess what, it wasn't. Yeah, I've enjoyed the CodePen, like, podcast where you guys talk about all the tests you're writing. Um, that's yeah. I don't, we talked about testing a little. I, I wonder if we should talk more specifically, like 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 like, <laughs> at the risk of being boring, like explain a couple of actual tests that have failed recently. You even, know that. even the history, like why you had to write it, because like this yeah. one time, so and so pushed code and didn't have a whatever. <laughs> Apparently, var banana equaled, you know, pizza. I guarantee, and I guarantee you, it happens sometimes. Yeah, and and that's maybe the thing is like you're you're making sure your scopes are all correct and stuff. But, ah, man, I just have a tough time. Rebecca Murphy's good at testing too. My friend Lon is good at mm-hmm. testing. I should, I, you know, to not to. I just think there might be some scope issues here, and I, I know you know just because you know I know some of the stuff that you work on, but not very intimately. And I I don't know like I have a I have a feeling that like maybe and correct me if I'm wrong if you worked on like a really huge large you were the develop you know you were the Rails dev on a very large app mm-hmm. you would just you would, it would just be different for you you know like no that's probably true and I probably you know and when you get like user uploads and stuff involved you you're that's you have to have those tests if a user can't upload something they can't you know they they can't use your app and then they're frustrated and then they tell your friends or tweet on Twitter how much you suck and that's not good, right? That's bad for business. So 
you need that sure setup. is so that's i'm interested in the same things like user can log in i want to make sure my users can always log in you know like this whatever finds your geolocation we want, i want to make sure that 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 does that or there's a graceful fallback or something indeed all right well hopefully we answered your questions on this episode of whoa rapid fire <laughs> Uh, see, the trick is I we took away the gun sounds and replaced them with worse sounds, so people will eventually complain. I love it. Uh, all right. Hey, uh, thank you guys for listening so much in the uh, podcatcher of your choice. Uh, be sure to vote us up, uh, star it, favorite, heart it, whatever. Uh, we appreciate that because that's the only way people uh, hear about uh, this episode. See, we told you at the top of the show, we re- we we rely on you. So we really appreciate that. And um, yeah, be sure if you hate your job, get a new job, shoptalkshow.com slash jobs. And yeah, Chris, do you have anything else? There's some good stuff on there right now. Shoptalkshow.com. 